Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the text-to-pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. Well, I'm joined by Matt Nolan. How's it going, Matt? Going great. And Blake Rogers. Blake uh, and Matt, um, obviously two of our super key ministry leaders here at Christ Covenant. We we went to two services yesterday. They were hugely um, uh, responsible and uh, uh, consequential in that. Um, Blake... Um, I think everything went pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge success as far as we're concerned. Logistically, I think, you know, we had great attendance in the first service, great attendance in the second service. Um, I was really proud of Matt and the kids' team. and Y'all did a great job. I've got kids down there, so I, you know, love seeing that. They loved that first hour, didn't they? That was great. And we celebrate milestones with a donut wall, so you can't beat that. You know what? I love a good donut wall. Um, but guys, today we're, we're not here to talk about donut walls. We're, we're here to talk about the book oh, of Philemon. What? I know. I know. I baited them. I said, guys, come talk about bonus. I thought donut we were talking walls. about Krispy Kreme versus yeah. Dunkin'. Like, well, let's let's have that discussion real quick. I mean, I think it's hands down Krispy Kreme's a better product. Is agreed. That, okay. Matt? Only if they're hot and fresh. Well, okay. All right. Well, that's, yeah. That's like the greatest of all donuts. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we, we finished up Philemon yesterday. When I say finished up, we just kind of looked at it more. Um, obviously, last week I went through it. Last week, though, we focused mostly on um, kind of how Paul is motivating Philemon to Christian growth and, and what really Christian growth and, and internal growth versus external growth really looks like. This week, what we wanted to do is kind of look at that growth, I guess, if you will, or look at the gospel impact uh, in each of the main characters of the book of Philemon. And so, if, you know, if you guys were have listened to the sermon podcast or if you were there, if you're listening, um, I took basically kind of the three main characters of the book, um, Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul, basically said, okay, well, what is it that these guys had to do? What, what was it that the gospel compelled them to do? And uh, Onesimus obviously had to go back to Philemon and kind of right his wrong, you know, make peace with uh, Philemon. Philemon obviously had to forgive and receive Onesimus' former bondservant as a brother. And Paul, I think what the gospel really compelled him to do, um, we talked about this a little bit last week, but, and I didn't, you know, there was so much to kind of talk through yesterday, we Mm -hmm. had the stories from our members, um, but obviously Paul believes in Philemon and even kind of is a Christ figure for Philemon. He's willing to pay his debt, Mm -hmm. um, be or sorry, Onesimus, he's willing to pay mm-hmm. his debt for or before uh, Philemon. Um, so anyway, there's a lot in this little letter. I mean, I guess, it's we, really first neat. of all, before we jump into kind of some of our impressions about the particular sermon, um, I, I've really enjoyed this study because it's, uh, as I've been kind of saying, it's it's real life Christianity. Yeah. And it, it mm-hmm. lets you peer into three people and really how they were making decisions and, and how the gospel was impacting their lives. So I think it's really, really helpful for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you started the sermon, you know, talking about that yesterday, like Christianity does happen not at your um, 
you know, your desk in your office where you have your Bible and your dimly lit room. Like that, that is where we come to know who God is, but it, it applies to all of life. And that's one of the things I think is like most compelling about the Christian worldview. It matters and is relevant uh, and brings significance to your life if you're the king of a country or if you're a prisoner under the king. That's good. And, you know. Yeah, and you know what? I actually think that's a really good thing. Uh, we hadn't planned to talk about this, but we, we kind of live in a world today that wants to talk. There's been a subtle kind of move in America um, and in the way that we talk about this, the public sphere, away from the freedom of religion to the freedom of worship. Uh, even in this 2020 presidential election, you'll hear that line more often. Freedom of worship. Worship implies that your faith, your religion, is to be confined to a worship service mm -hmm. or your dimly lit office or whatever. But freedom of religion implies that, no, actually this impacts the way that I live all of my life. Now, I want to be careful to say in this conversation, the way that it impacts our life is not to be fighting culture wars like all the time. Like that's not, I think mm -hmm. Christians rightly think, okay, well, yeah, I want to be able to practice my religion however I want to. It, it's more to, and, and there, again, there may be a time where you really need to stand up for something or make a stand. I'm not saying that, but I, I'm saying that, that more so it's understanding the way of Christ in our real life situations. Right. Um, you know, we've often said before, um, I think this is uh, Dallas Willard, um, the goal of Christian discipleship is to live your life as Jesus would live it if he were living your life. Um, and so really, how would Jesus, if he was in jail and mm -hmm. a runaway slave showed up next to him, what would he do? Mm -hmm. If Jesus was the master of a bond servant and that bond servant came back to him in a repentant way, what would he do? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's where finally men is really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. and, and just for like us and the listeners to like, how would Jesus work your job, you know? Right. What would he be concerned about? How would Jesus live in your neighborhood? What would he do? Um, and I think I think it's a you know whenever you address that question or ask that question of yourself, I think that it's all it's it's a constant challenge before us to be pursuing the people and the brokenness around us with the gospel. Well, and and we talked a lot about how the gospel moves us, and, and you know you and I are just talking offline about kind of this maybe the larger idea of Christian benevolence. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think, what were your thoughts on that? I yeah, was... so it, it's interesting, um, you know, throughout world history, it is oftentimes uh, the Christians who are setting up the hospitals to care right. for the sick. In your sermon, in the, you know, in the intro, you talked about different plagues that have happened throughout world history. Um, and these are far worse, as you mentioned, than the coronavirus. Like, these are like, you know, even more, uh, you know, life-threatening, etc. But it was the Christians who would give of themselves, who would be separated from their families, who would give of them of their own lives to care for the sick. You know, one of the people that I've studied before is George Mueller, right? Right. Yeah. He uh, he was a Christian man who was compelled to deal with the orphan crisis in Europe, and he, during his ministry, had over ten thousand orphans come through. Um, his home. And so it was just unbelievable. But why did he do that? Because of what Christ did for him. Right, yeah. You know, why is that? What, what compels Christians to continue to be on the forefront of crisis issues? 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, even beyond that, I mean, it's Christians that have cared about education. It's mm-hmm. Christians that, um, and, and not just, you know, like you've mentioned, not just health care, but also adoption care and foster care. And um, again, I think that we, we see all of these things in the character of Christ, mm-hmm. in the way of Christ. Um, and uh, I love, uh, one of the things I, I really hope that would be the tenor of our church and the tenor of our lives um, you know, would be that, that, that we lead with mercy, that we lead with compassion, uh, that we lead with love, even for people that may be against us. I mean, that's the amazing thing about those, uh, the plague stories that I told yesterday, is that the Christians were caring for the very Romans that were putting them to death. Mm-hmm. And that is strange. You know, mm-hmm. education became a thing that you do to get up a leg up in the world, right? Right. Like, so Christians started schools because they really cared about people having literacy. And then schools were such a hit that all the powerful people got educated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Christians started hospitals um, because they really cared about the poor. And then people realized, oh, I can make a lot of money in healthcare. And, and so those things became um, kind of power swallowed up. Um, and so I think that it's very easy as we're like doing good things, they, they kind of push us into prominence or to, you know, to even, you know, some sort of aggrandizement of self. But, you know, I would hope, obviously, as you said, that, that our motivation would just be, this is the way of Christ. This is how Christ lived. This is how Christ motivated others and that we would go and do the same. So mm-hmm. that's a great, yeah, it's a great thing to think through. Um, Matt, what were some of your thoughts uh, yeah, so um, one of the biggest impressions was how you talked about how the gospel compels us, you know, to go out and to do something. And it reminded me of, uh, Blake mentioned this a little bit, but just kind of remind me about in James when he says that we would be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. And right, that yeah. we would be moved to acts of love. And, and I thought the testimonies were very particular, uh, impactful, uh, both the Chens and, and Courtney Mitchell. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I love both of those stories. I particularly, you know, was moved by the Chin story. Maybe it's because I was the least familiar with it. I mean, Courtney's story is amazing. I, I love that story that she was just watching a, a, a documentary one night and then the next day started a ministry. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty powerful. Um, but the Chins, I mean, they, they, it just required great humility. Um, it would have been very easy for them in that situation where his father, as they mentioned in the story, had really acted in a very cruel way. Um, it, it wasn't just a concerned way. It was actually, he like crossed the line into, you know, he was mm-hmm. being cruel. Mm-hmm. He, he was being mean, particularly to her. And also obviously to him, he was certainly dishonoring his son, but yet they responded to him, not in a passive way. Right. And I think this is the difference, right? Christians are not called to be passive. There's a difference between passivity and compassion, and, and there's a difference between being passive and being loving. They, they respond to him in a very direct, intentional, and loving way, and um, I just think it was a, such a powerful story um, that I think motivated me, even just thinking through, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. H- how does the gospel change the way I you know, pursue people that have hurt me deeply? Um, so yeah, I was very impressed by that also, impacted by that also. Yeah. You know, I love the role of testimony um, because, again, I think, you know, it takes Christianity and just proves its real lifeness. Um, and so love doing testimony in our church. If you're in our church family, 
And we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Yeah. And so like, and not only do we want to hear from you, but like, we hope that you're in a group where you're sharing testimony. We, we hope that you, you know, are getting to know people in a real way and that people are hearing the, you know, how God is working in your life um, through his son by spirit to, to, to bring reconciliation and, and to offer forgiveness and love and hope to, to the world. One of the things that you were mentioning, Blake, too, is just, and you, you talk about this all the time, and, and you've taught me a lot about this, but just the idea of pursuit. It is a Christian idea. Um, and we certainly see this in Paul. Um, I, I was particularly convicted by, I think, how Paul treats Onesimus this week as I was thinking about the text. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think it's very easy when somebody's let you down, when somebody's failed you, when you've invested into someone, and again, I don't know how much you know Paul had invested into to him, but just thinking through all the implications here, when you've invested into someone and they've kind of taken advantage of that investment, it's pretty easy to give up on somebody and to say, look, I don't have time for them. Mm-hmm. And, and it, but it does seem that like God is always finding the person um, who isn't very likely to be great, and he's, that's the person that God is using in a, in a really great way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just super encouraged just to, to think about that um, and to pursue people and mm-hmm. to, to have a posture of pursuit in, in really all that I do. Yeah, like natural human tendency when, when you're harmed or when someone sins against you is to retract, right? Is to pull away, to shut down, to close off. Um, and, and yet, you know, that, that's not what we see in God, right? When, when we sin against God, the story of the gospel is there to tell us he's pursuing you. Right. He, um, he's pursuing you. And how do you, and you mentioned this yesterday in the sermon, like Christianity is when you have sinned against God and recognize it, and yet you run back to him. You pursue him because you, you he's realize come he's to you pursuing in Christ. You, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think that paradigm like when we are hurt by others, um, you know, the, the only way to bring reconciliation, the only way to be hopeful um, is to trust in the Lord, but then also to go after people um, who at times harm you. And that's a great bridge into kind of the next big thing we want to talk about, which is this, this big idea of forgiveness. And, and Matt, I think, you know, you had some questions and some thoughts on that. You're, you explained how uh, Philemon had to forgive. Um, you know, he, he needed to remember how he'd been forgiven. And uh, I thought about a couple different scriptures in how in Luke 17, 4, it talks about if someone sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Um, and then you also reference Matthew 18, um, where it talks about if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, um, then my Heavenly Father won't forgive you. So I guess my question is kind of around um, just a little bit more of the depth of what does forgiveness really mean and how do forgiveness and pursuit um, relate to one another? Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, I know Blake and I have talked a lot about this. This is, this is one of those that I think, you know, maybe people use terms in a different way. Um, and, um, and I think it's one of these that... that that certainly I know a lot of really faithful Christians have some disagreement about, but obviously the, the, the hope, the, the hopeful goal of, of when there's division in between Christians 
is forgiveness and reconciliation, right? Mm-hmm. That you would not just forgive one another, not hold the offense against one another, but you'd actually be restored. And, and that was kind of the story of Tammy and, and Dan and, mm-hmm. and his family yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. She said, now there's no bitterness, right? Now it's like we vacation together. They actually just went to Taiwan. I mean, he, he, you know, that was an interesting kind of story. They actually just went to Taiwan for the very first time. And that was the father said, you know, you're not allowed to go to Taiwan. You know, you're not going to take her to Taiwan. And the fact that they just went and that it was a wonderful time just shows this kind of full circle, complete restoration, even, the, even mm-hmm. when there's been a great offense in that story. So that is the ultimate hope. But then you have mm-hmm. to ask yourself, okay, how do we get there, right? And obviously I think there's a, there's a responsibility that the offending party has, and then there's a responsibility that the offended party has, okay? So as we saw in this, Paul said to Philemon, hey, you've got a responsibility here. Or sorry, I'm sorry, said to Onesimus, you've got a responsibility here. You need to go back. Like, you, you've got to go make this right. You've got to go and um, pursue um, Philemon. You have done something wrong. And so that's, uh, you know, that is the role, I would say, of the offending party. You know, you need to repent. You need to go and humble yourself before the person that you've offended and you need to go seek to, to bring restoration uh, and to go make it right, right? You can't forgive them because, right, you were the offending person, but you can go seek restoration, right? Um, in that case, when the offending party comes to you and asks for forgiveness, I think the gospel, I mean, I think the Bible is pretty clear there, right? right. You're, the expectation of the believer is to forgive them. Now, as I said, what does forgiveness mean? And, and I think you have to relate it to, um, uh, you know, Romans 12 in terms of leaving it to the wrath of God. Um, if, if you stole $10,000 from me, Matt, and you were really broken and repentant over that, and you came to me and said, hey, will you forgive me for stealing $10,000? True brokenness and true repentance would also imply that you um, would pay back the $10,000. Make it right. Yeah, Yeah, you would do the right thing. Um, But if you just came to me and said, hey, will you forgive me the $10,000? By the way, I just bought this new truck, and you can take a ride in it with me. (laughs) Then probably we're not going to, our relationship's not going to be restored. You haven't made it right. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, then you ask the question is, do I have a, um, do, do I have a responsibility to forgive you in that case? You haven't really shown real repentance. Mm-hmm. You, you haven't really been broken over your sin. Like what do I do then as the offend dead party? And, and what I would say, that's where the Romans 12 verse becomes, you know, helpful. I, I don't want to carry around the weight of vengeance or of restitution against you. I want to leave that to the wrath of God. And so, as I said yesterday, I think what that means is A, trusting in God's final judgment, but B, trusting in the shadows of judgment that God has put in place. Uh, And so what I would do is I would call the police and I would say, Matt stole $10,000 from me and I need to press charges against him. And that would not be a wrong thing for me Mm -hmm. to do because, you know, you've had a chance to make it right. You're not making it right. Your heart is hard. I'm trusting that God has actually put some authority structure in place that, that are actually working out for both of our good, right? Mm-hmm. It's working out for my good because maybe I'll get the $10,000 back. It's working out for your good because 
you're not going to steal $10,000 again if you go to jail, you know, hopefully. Um, and so I think God has put these things in place that we need to trust. Now, I think some people would say, oh, wait a second, that's not forgiveness, really. Um, you know, you really can't forgive unless you've been restored. And that's where I would say, I, personally, I kind of separate the idea of forgiveness, me kind of passing the offense over to the authorities, to God, um, and restoration. In that case, I would not have been restored to mm-hmm. you, but I can, you know, forgive you the offense. I'm not going to hold bitterness and anger against you um, because I, I've entrusted, if you will, the anger that God has against that kind of sin. I've entrusted the, the wrath, if you will, that God has against those sins, both finally and more quickly in the systems of the day. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Philemon didn't have a responsibility to pursue Onesimus. Oh, that's a good to question. To make things right, did he? Or, well, and or see, I he? would say that, you know, that's kind of a different responsibility. I mean, one of the things that also in Romans 12, I mean, in Romans 12, we, we spent like, a, you know, several weeks in it a couple of years ago, but it really is a helpful chapter of Scripture. One of the things that it says there, too, is... Um, is to, to, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so if someone has hurt me, um, there's a couple of possibilities. A, they may have hurt me and not known it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, I, and I, <laughs> hey, look, I've certainly done that, where I've hurt people. I do that with, like, my wife, you mm-hmm. know, where I've done something that's hurt her and not known it. So they may have done something to hurt me, and they, they don't really realize it. They haven't seen it. And so in that case, I think that, you know, even in Matthew 18, I think I have a responsibility to go to them and say, hey, you know what, brother, this really hurt, and um, I was offended, or I was hurt, or you didn't realize this, but you, you know, did this, and it ruined this of mine, um, you know, um, I want to make it right with you. And then, obviously, their responsibility then would be to be, if it's true, to be like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm sorry, let's make it right, you know. Um, that would show, again, repentance, and that helps us to live at peace um, mm-hmm. with one another. Now, so they may not know it's right, in which case I would say they may know it's right, in which case I think you have a responsibility to pursue, um, because again, I think this gets back to a kind of like a church discipline and love issue. Um, if they're really Christians, I mean, I think it's different if they're not Christians. If they're, if they're Christians then do you love them enough or do, do you love them enough to, to kind of help clear their record of sin? Mm. Or are you going to let them stay in this injustice? If they're not Christians, I still think you pursue for a little while, but then you, you, know, you don't have as much teeth really to pursue them. If, mm. if a non-Christian person sinned against me, I would still probably go to them and say, hey, that, that really hurt, that offended me. And then if they said, you know, forget you, you know, I may just have to leave it there, right? And then trust the wrath of God, mm-hmm. you know, for that one. Yeah. Um, if a Christian person, obviously, then I kind of have the mechanism of the church, uh, the mechanism of other brothers in Christ to, to really go and pursue that unity. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Blake, you got anything on that? Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I think that's really helpful and clarifying. I think also, um, what do you do when you know, you think someone has sinned against you, but really what they did, it just offended you. 
Oh, that's good. It didn't mean it wasn't sin. Like you know, marriages probably experienced this a lot. Like, well, my husband didn't take out the trash, and now I'm like that offended me because that was his expectation. But it actually like, did he sin against you? Right. Maybe maybe not. Well, we had a case. So Paige and I had a case the other day. Okay, we actually talked about this at our uh, great marriage seminar on Saturday. So we were driving um, in from. Oh, we went to Philip's wedding. We were in South Carolina. She was driving. I was doing some work in the front seat, and she was in the Georgia Peach Pass line uh, lane. But it wasn't trafficy, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you still get charged for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I was like busy working, you know. And I just kind of wasn't paying attention. Classic, right? And then I looked up from my computer, and I was like, Paige, what are you doing in the Peach Pass lane? Like, there's no traffic out, you know. And she was like, Well, I just thought it was like the Hove lane, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, you know, we had all five of us in the car. And I was like, I can't believe you've lived in Georgia this long and don't know how the Peach Pass works. Okay. Okay. Now, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Now, I, to be honest with you, I really wasn't trying to be mean to her. Like, right. if I had said that to Blake, Blake had been like, oh, my gosh, you're right. I'm such gosh. an idiot. You know? Um, but I said it to her, and it wasn't unkind, right? I wasn't being really mean. I just, mm-hmm. it was kind of like, you know, uh, it was kind of an exhortation, like, come on, babe, like, let's learn how the roads work around here. Um, but you know what it was? It, for her, it was unkind. Uh, and she was offended. And so for me as a husband, I would say the thing I violated there was I didn't live with my wife in an understanding way, which is obviously a, an exhortation of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, because she, when I had that tone and kind of said that to her, was hurt by that. So again, I think that's kind of where the Romans 12, live peaceably with all, it kind of encompasses a lot of these things. Um, you know, we should seek um, in trying to love others as, you know, loving others as you would, you know, as you love yourself or whatever. It's, it's really love others as they want to be loved, as they, mm-hmm. you know, need to be loved, mm-hmm. right? And, and even I think that's good for, for your wives. Like, I don't really talk to Paige as I want, would want her to talk to me. I talk to Paige as she desires to be talked to and as is helpful for her. Um, and I think that's part of my exhortation of scripture to love her and to live in an understanding way with her and to live peaceably with her. Um, even if that is or, or isn't sin. Now I think like the consequence of that, I I didn't have, I didn't think, I I don't think I had to pay much restitution for that comment, Mm -hmm. but I needed to, I needed to be corrected and grow because of that. Right. Yeah. That's good. Um, and then also, the, the, you know, I see Paul hinting at, you know, kind of some substitutionary atonement themes in, uh, in where he's, he's saying, hey, Philemon, if Onesimus owes you anything, credit it to me. And, yeah. and, and hearing your comment to Matt, you know, where Matt stole your $10,000, like, you know, sin always creates a debt. Yes. Right? Um, and with God, that debt is not ever swept under the rug. Right, even our justice system um, doesn't always get it right. Like, how do you pay back the various numbers of crimes and different kinds of crimes that happen? Well, sometimes there's no way. Right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just no way. But with God, He requires perfect justice, and that's why we need Christ because He lived the perfect life right. that we right. um, that we were indebted for. Um, and so, like, I just the the theme of substitutionary atonement uh, seems to be alive in how well, Paul deals with 
and you and I have talked about this, is Paul a type of Christ, mm-hmm. you know, kind of going forward? And I would say, yeah, but I mean, I think like we all should be mm-hmm. kind of a type of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what it means to be a Christian, right? You should be doing the things that Christ did. As I talked about with the Christians that were trying to save the lives of those who were persecuting during the plague of Cyprian, for example, they were actually forgiving the very people that were putting them to death. Mm -hmm. Well, who does that sound like? Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They they don't know what they're doing. Um, They were loving um, the people that were persecuting them. Well, again, what does that sound like? You know, and so th- they were, they were living out the life of Christ. And I would just say like, how do you know when the gospel's really fallen on your heart and on our, our heart? It's when we actually start to, not necessarily by compulsion, not to gain righteousness, but when we start to, just because it's kind of who we are, love others in the way that Christ has loved us. Um, you know, that's when you know that the gospel is really changing you and compelling mm-hmm. you and, and making you into a, a new kind of human. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, it's been helpful and um, super helpful little book. Uh, we're heading to Jonah next week. The old, uh, the runaway prophet. Um, oh, yeah. You got, any, you got anything? What should we be thinking about ahead of Jonah? Any, any thoughts? <laughs> oh, I got some thoughts on Jonah. Here's a, we're calling the sermon series Pity Nineveh. Um, I'll go ahead and give this is uh, this is my last line. I'll give it to you first, though. Um, you know, God says in the end, you know, you pity the plant, right? I love this. You pity the plant, right? Jonah, what's wrong with you? You pity this plant that you didn't even work for, right? It sprung up in a day and it died in a day, and you're worried about a plant. And he said, should I not pity Nineveh, where there's 120,000 persons that need no, know neither their right hand from their left hand? And I just think, man, that is so convicting when I think about how much energy I spend pitying the plant, if mm-hmm. you will, um, on the little things of my life that really don't matter. You know, yeah. what's what we say today, first world problems, like pitying the plant's a first world problem. Right? Mm-hmm. I pity the first world problem. And yet there is seven and a half billion people on earth right now. And um, and most of them. Uh, will die and, and be separated from God forever in their sin, having not even heard of the hope of the gospel. And so we have a huge responsibility. And um, I'm excited to talk about that responsibility over the next few weeks. And it's something that we should prayerfully think about more yeah. than we, than we do. So, well, for Matt Nolano and blank the tank Rogers, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.